This podcast is brought to you by Stonely, an interactive guidance platform for self-serve support. Deflect tickets, decrease costs, and delight customers with beautiful step-by-step guides that can be embedded anywhere. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Queue, a podcast by Stonely that looks at the human side of customer support leadership. I'm your host, Meredith Metzger, and this week I'm excited to welcome Kenji Hayward, head of customer support at Front. In this episode, I talk with Kenji about how to get customer support a seat at the adult's table. He shares how to identify your company's version of the adult's table, why it's important for support to have a voice in those high-level conversations, and what proactive strategies you can use to make sure support is a valued and well-resourced partner. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Queue. Today I am very excited to welcome Kenji Hayward. He is the head of customer support at Front. Kenji, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm a fan and this is great to actually <laughs> to be on. Awesome. So let's let's get right into our topic. So you were telling me a little bit about the concept of you know, trying to get customer support a seat at the adults table. You know, it seems like customer support is often viewed as a cost center and it's not truly valued enough in a company's overall success when in reality it is, I mean, it's critical. It's the backbone. Um, yep. So how can CX leaders going, go about getting that seat at the adults table, communicating that value and, and advocating for the role of a support team? Yeah, no, it's a great question and I'm, I'm glad you bring, brought that up. Um, I kind of want to go back a little bit and just, you know, because the adults table, kids table analogy, depending on how your family Thanksgiving were, it might not connect. So um, just to know where that came from. Typically in my house, I've got a pretty big family and all the adults sit at this really big, uh, you know, adults table, right? And conversations are happening, decisions are being made. And then for the kids, you get like that little, you know, little janky one and it's, it's in the yeah. corner um, <laughs> and you're hanging out, hanging out with your cousins and your, your siblings and you're just having a lot of fun, uh, which is also great too. Um, you're still participating and you're part of the event and gathering. And then a term has come up in the support community, you know, over the past like six, seven years, which is the support teams often feel like they're at the kid's table within their company. And that could be a meeting that they're not invited to or a decision that was made about the product without consulting the support team. Um, I've experienced all sides of this. So I'm happy to, happy to chat about it. And my experience, probably more interesting is what it was like sitting at the kids table. Um, and yeah, it, it sucks. Like it's not a great place to be. Um, and I think that for people listening to this podcast and for the, the guests that you've had on, if you're a head of support, you know that your number one job is to have a happy team, you know, create a, create a great customer experience for customers um, and do all these things. And sometimes you feel limited by not having the access or resources that you need. So that's one. And then two is now I'm really happy because I work at a company that does, a, you know, we're like a support solution as well as many other things. But I think we have that built in value of like, we really value support. Um, I don't feel like I ever have to invite myself to the adults table. It's just like a given thing. Um, it's great. Like, it's awesome being at the adults table. I highly recommend it. You should join if you're not there yet. Um, and we could talk about kind of steps on, on how to get there. Um, but yeah, if you're feeling like your 
at the kid's table. Um, you're not helping out with decisions, products releasing features that you did not consult on, or the sales team released this new plan that you're like, I would have loved to have known this three months ago uh, before it got rolled out. There's, there's a few things you can do. I, I think the first thing is just understanding what the adult table is for you. For me, it was a meeting that I was always left out of. So it was literally a table. It was like literally the biggest conference room table at the company. But for you, it might be something different, right? It might be a Zoom call that you're not on, or it just could be something else that, that means a lot to you that you want to be a part of. Um, my advice would be first identify what that is, like what is your adults table um, in your company and in your world, and then find out who the stakeholders are. So who is sitting at the adults table? Is it the C-suite? Is it something that doesn't make sense, like you would never be a part of just because of the way the company's structured? Or is there like a natural way that you can kind of almost invite yourself um, to the table by you know finding natural topics that you can bring up um, to discussion? So those are just like a few things and an overview. And my number one advice that helped me, um, even here at this company, was just talking to my boss, right? Even though we're heads of supports, we all report to somebody. You might report to the head of product. You might report to the head of engineering. You might be like me and on the sales side where I report to the head of success. Um, but have that conversation with your manager and just let them know, like, are there conversations I should be a part of? I would love to partner. I'm not asking to be an active voice, but it'd be cool to just be a fly on the wall or even get a recording. Uh, I feel like that's a good place to start. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Um... You mentioned that it hasn't always been the case for you to be at the adults table to have your company recognize the value. So as you were moving through your career, interviewing for new jobs, what did you look for to kind of get a feel for if your leadership would be supportive? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, here's a trick. This might be a really terrible suggestion that I'm making, but it works for me. So just to preface that, um, every time that I'm interviewing for a company, I contact the support team. Um, and I do that for a couple of reasons. Like one, it helps me kind of study like their support flow and gives me like good things to talk about in the interview. I can be like, hey, I noticed you use Zendesk for this. Have you thought about doing it this way? Um, the second thing is I can kind of get a gauge of the happiness of the support agent and their tone and just like how they feel in general. That gives me another like data point of like, okay, like, this person seems like pretty happy here. They must have like a good thing going with the support team. And then what I'll do in the actual interview when you get a little farther along is I'll bring that up. And um, when I get to the highest point, maybe I'm talking to the CEO or whoever the decision, decision maker is, um, I'll ask them like, what did you do before there was no support team? Like every company, whether you're a startup or this giant company, there's always a point where you, that's not the first hire you make. Like, like you said, like sometimes support is a sunk cost. You might hire your sales reps first, your marketing team, your engineers to build the product. Support might be the last, literally the last thing that you do um, when you kind of get your team built out. So ask them what they did before that. Were the CEOs in the queues helping out? Um, did Was it an all hands on deck approach and everybody was helping out with customers? And the reason that I asked that is that gives me a good idea like, okay, wow, that might be in their DNA already. Like they're used to helping out with customers. They know the pain of support. They know the value of it because they lived it. Um, and that's a big reason why I joined Front because in my interview that came up, I asked, you know, Mathilde, who's the founder, like, hey, what did you guys do 
before, like before you had support. And she said, well, I worked the queue. I mean, obviously, like I took sales calls and I also answered customers. And um, that made me feel pretty good about my decision. Yeah. Oh, that's a great tip. As I'm writing it down. I don't know if you can see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. And I, I imagine that, you know, Front being a, a, a software supporting support teams probably also gave you a, a good indicator yeah. of how they, they view support. <laughs> but on the flip side, I've turned down a lot of positions based on this. Like, you know, I am a, I'm like a small mid company kind of guy. Like I just discovered I'm not the corporate, like I don't see myself working at a giant company um, at any time in my career. And, and that's just, that's just me. Um, but even for the bigger companies I've talked to, like I've talked to some pretty, pretty big companies, um, over the past few years, um, that were interested in hiring me. And then I just email their support team or I'll read their documentation and I'll be like, wow, this is really rigid or this is not my style. Um, so I think using those resources you have available before even talking to somebody, um, really does help. I think it could weed out a lot because you're also interviewing the company. Yes, they are interviewing you, but um, if you're a head of support, you're high in demand. Like you should have some, we talked about this, like have some swag, like people are looking for this role to fill. Every company needs a support team. Every company needs a head of support. If they're talking to you, you're probably one of the few handful of, of ones out there. Um, so definitely leverage that if it, if it would be helpful. Be nice to the support team though. When you write a ticket in, don't send some like, you know, jerky response. Not that you would, but I try to be authentic and I'll read the help center and I'll be like, here's a, okay, here's an actual question they can help me with and I'll send it and then I'll get a response and I'll give them a good rating just so that it's a good experience for everybody. But um, I, I told my friend about this and he just did it completely the wrong way. And he asked like an impossible question and I'm like, you're just wasting this company and this poor support team's time um, now. But yeah, that, that's how I would do it. Okay. So in the interview process, you are sending, you're actually sending in a ticket. Yep. Oh, typically, I'll, yeah. Smart. Like if I'm super interested, I'll say like, hey, can you, can I get a trial account? Can you just like set up a demo? I just want to learn more about um, what you're doing. And I promise I won't break anything. You can just set it for a week. Um, and yeah, and I'll contact the support team during that time. But if, even if I don't do that, yeah, I write in uh, every single time, anytime I'm looking uh, for a company. Okay. I love that. Some good tips. <laughs> you know, just live and learn. <laughs> this is uh, over time. But yeah, hopefully that helps people. And I'm sorry for all the support teams who are going to get more tickets from heads of supports. But I think it's a good, good move. So in the past question, I asked you, like, what do you look for in the interview process? But what if you are already employed at a company and you're struggling to, you know, maybe with leadership who doesn't understand the value, you're struggling to, you know, get that seat at the adults table. Mm -hmm. How do you decide if you should, A, stay and try to advocate for the role of support and try to get that seat at the table, or B, decide to leave and look for a job elsewhere? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, uh, something I've been through. So I've been through this before. It's a lot harder when you're in it. That's a huge decision, right? Like leaving a company um, is much tougher than, you know, like choosing a new one when you're in the interview process. But I would say you need to know your limitations. Like our jobs as head of supports, like I said, is to create the best customer experience. Like I have very high standards for myself, for my team and, you know, for creating that experience for customers. If I work at a company that will not give me the resources to do that, that's when I'll start thinking about leaving. Um, and this has actually happened 
I won't say which company, but this has happened at a company that I've worked at before where the team is killing it. We had like killer talent, you know, we're firing off on all cylinders on SLAs and like customers are happy. Our CSATs are high, but we were having a tough time growing the team. And I, I kind of ran into this wall of, I need more resources, but the company was like, Hey, we only have so much, you know, for this because it is a not, they didn't say it's a cost center, but basically it's not a revenue generating team at the company. So here's what we have to work with. And that really hindered me and my ability to make my team happier to, you know, because happiness and support, it's a lot of things. And I know a few guests have talked about it, but I think the most basic need is there's the queue um, and there's a lot of other stuff. There's projects, there's time um, that will, you know, kind of give them that enrichment in their role. And uh, I reached the point where our team was so strapped and I did everything that I could as a head of support that I felt stuck. And um, for me, that, that that's not something I can get behind. I need to have the buy-in um, to be able to, you know, to execute my vision, which is to have like, I just always want to have the best uh, support. And I think that's everybody. I don't think there's any head of support or a company in general who's just like, I really want shitty support. I really want subpar support. That's my goal. But that's what happens sometimes um, because the the message doesn't meet the, you know, what we're kind of putting out there for resources. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, once you like get hired at a company and you, you're feeling good about uh, the choice you made, that you have good support from your leadership, what are those first steps that you take to ensure that you have that seat at the adults table, that you have the processes in place to make sure support is involved in those conversations? Like, what do you do first? Yeah, uh, step one for me is to be proactive. Like, you can't wait for someone to tell you that you're an adult. Like, just like in life, there's not this moment where your dad's like, all right, Kenji, you're an adult now, like go, go do life stuff. Um, it's the same thing at work. And the reason I say that for support, what I found, and I, I'm just speaking for myself, so I'm not trying to generalize us as a, you know, a group, but our strength is like, we're super empathetic. You know, we love people, we love customers. Sometimes that could be our weakness when it comes to these type of skills of maneuvering through corporate and, you know, trying to get to, this imaginary table. So I would say step one, like I said before, define what your table is. It might not be a physical table. It could be a meeting. It could be a Zoom call. It could be a person, right? And then after that, I would just assess like what, like what are blockers for you to wedge your way in? Because um, again, I wouldn't wait for the invite. I would think about like, what do I need to work on to get to this point? Some natural ways to do it. Like if you have a company all hands, volunteer be like hey i would love to just present a five minute presentation on how the support team's doing or i got this really awesome uh customer story a customer wrote in to support and they left this awesome like csat feedback is that cool if i just you know share it company's gonna say of course like we would love to hear that we love hearing about people who talk really you know well about our products and our fans um so that's one natural way to do it as a head of support our job is really to get in the spotlight in any way possible. Um, and that could be just like the all hands thing. Like I talked about, it could be talking to your manager, figuring out like which meetings those are um, and why you're not invited. But I think that's would be the first step for me is just not get too, you know, fixated on adult versus kid and more uh, focused on like, what can I do to be proactive just to get into those conversations? Mm hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd like to rewind a little bit. So you mentioned earlier that um, support people are 
generally a very empathetic group. I mean, it's, it's your job day to day to help people. Um, but that can be a strength and you mentioned a weakness. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think that, you know, all the things that make us great support leaders, they are those strengths. Like we are empathetic. We, like I said, we love people. We love having a happy team. And like, that's, that should be our number one job is to make sure that we have a healthy, healthy, happy, mentally stable, you know, team that's doing a great job. Um, but there's another side to it. And I think if you get too fixated on the empathy side, you lose sight of the business aspect, which is what the bottom line is for the company. You know, you have to be able to tie your goals of happy customers to the company's goals uh, overall, right? And it might be anchoring to the sales team goals or the marketing team goals or the engineering team goals. You have to have those clear OKRs um, aligned so that it's not just about, you know, all the warm and fuzzies and, you know, making customers feel good. How do you translate that? And how do you explain that that's valuable? Why is it valuable for Meredith to like using Front? Um, why is it good? You know, why is it valuable to have a really good support team? Because we could have a subpar support team if we really wanted, but that's not what we're trying to do. Um, so I think that that's something I struggled with early. And now I've gotten, you know, a lot better about uh, doing that. And an example is actually, this is super nerdy, but I printed out my OKRs because <laughs> I didn't know how the screen was going to work. Um, and I'm happy to share this. This is not like super secret info, but here are some examples um, that I use. So one of the goals um, for us here at Front is to accelerate growth, right? Like super general statement, every company wants to grow. The way that I translate that for my support team is I would like to achieve 24 seven um, escalation support, you know, for our biggest customers, right? Or number two, um, having our top 20 customers have less than two hours because the way that I translate that is um, these are really big accounts for the company. It's high impact, it's high impact on revenue. So if we can keep them happy, um, we'll keep the company in a good place. And another one is being indispensable. That's another value for us here. And for me, I this is where the empathy comes in. Being indispensable for me is having happy customers. So no churn, no gross churn created by a support experience. So meaning like you wrote into support and you didn't have such a bad experience that you're just like, I quit. Um, so that's always a good goal to have. Keeping a CSAT rating of 95% or above, which we always do, um, that's a good indicator. And then um, for me, launching a brand new help center uh, in the next quarter, because I think that's going to directly impact the self-service experience. So those are things I think about um, in my role. I think about the ways that I can just take what I'm really good at naturally, which is being empathetic, having an empathetic, you know, awesome support team, and then making sure that whatever we do rolls up to the company's goals and then have that be measurable. Okay. Yeah. You kind of answered my, my next question. I was going to ask like what, <laughs> when you, when you are advocating um, for the role of support and the importance of having a great support team, what do you talk about? What, how do you measure that? Yeah, pretty much OKRs. I, I would say is the way to go. Um, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of, there's some OKRs I share with the company. Um, and then there's like, really detailed weekly ones that we do within our team. Most of them are metrics-based, so, you know, response time, handle time, um, all those, you know, like the standard ones. Um, but then on top of that, CSAT, which is another one that we look at. You're also going to want to look at just, again, if you can tie it to churn, that's a big one. If you can show that your support team is truly making a measurable impact to keep customers around, that ties into retention, which ties into ARR. 
which will keep the lights on and supports is generating value. And we are contributing to, you know, the bottom line, even though we're not directly a revenue generating team, we're creating revenue by keeping customers around. So it, it sounds like throughout your career, you've, you've really figured out how to, you know, identify your version of the adults table, how to identify companies that value support. So as you build a support team, how are you helping your team leads, your agents, et cetera? How are you helping them kind of develop those skills and learn, learn these types of things that you've learned throughout your career? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what I do is I will, here's the natural way that I do it. I'm like inviting them to different things. So whether it's a project, so like my support manager right now, I'm, it's the first time that she's managed a support team. So I will, you know, add her to threads that I think are helpful for her to see, even though she's not on the email. So again, like it doesn't have to be a meeting. It could even be like this email chain or alias that you're not a part of at work. Um, I'll just bring her into the conversation so she can read it and just kind of understand. And that that's one way that she can learn. Um, and then I, within my team, you know, I hire amazing people. Like I, you know, that's, that's our job is to hire people much smarter than us and much better at support um, than us. And I feel like I've done a really good job of that. So I leverage them in different places. So in our product meeting that we have um, within the company, I'm not even there. I leverage um, our content manager and somebody from our support team and they represent us and then they come back and then they share the knowledge with the rest of the team. So that's what I'm doing. It's something I wish somebody did for me when I was younger and I, when I was working in, because I started in tier one and I did tier two. I was technical support engineer. Um, I've done all those roles and nobody proactively came out, came to me and was like, hey, would you want to join this? Like, is this something you'd be interested in? Because more often than not, they probably are. Um, and even if they're, they, they're a little like apprehensive, um, I just tell them like, hey, you're just, just join. You know, there's no expectations that you have to come up with an amazing idea. Just be there absorb it. Um, and it's really good experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Like not only are you learning the topics that are being discussed, but you're also learning how they are discussed, like how things are brought up, how things are communicated at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not always a natural inclination. I know in my career, I've definitely had to figure that out kind of on the fly. I think it's getting harder now too, because, you know, we were talking before earlier, you know, there's a lot of changes with working remote. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no physical table, like we said. So you can't just pop into a Zoom meeting, be like, hello, I'm going to join this now. I think it's going to be even harder to do this, to be honest, um, without having those, you know, personal connections. Because like, I remember when I had first heard about this topic, uh, I think it was at a support driven conference that I attended. And most of the examples were based on like in-person, like, oh, you bump into someone in the kitchen and then you're like, hey, I heard you're doing this meeting. Like that doesn't happen as much anymore. So you have to be more thoughtful, again, about being proactive. And I think for me, like my key advice I would give to support leaders is you have to learn the business. You can be the most amazing um, support leader and have the happiest team. But if you can't actually drive decisions and drive change that will help grow the team and help keep the team happy in the long run, you're you're focusing on the wrong things. And that's a mistake I made super early on was I wanted to be the the best manager. My team loved me and I love my team. But then I got to a point where I wasn't able to get them the things that they needed. And that's where, uh, you know, that was a downfall and that was a, a, a bad on my side. So that's something I learned. And this time that's not an issue. And I try to straddle that balance of 
having a very happy team, you know, and we're very close and we're very tight. We're not a huge team. We're less than 20 still. Um, but still being able to have the presence to work with executives and to understand why it's important to make sales. Like you just have to know how the whole company works. I think that that's something we don't do often enough because the queue is crazy. Like you're just, you're going to be sucked in if you're a growing company. And if you're like a startup, you you say you're going to do it. You probably never will. You're just going to be so busy trying to figure out what to do next and, you know, which customer to respond to um, today. And um, that would be my advice is just take a step back, talk to your manager, see if there are mentors internally that you can lean on. There's really good podcasts like this that you can listen to. There's YouTube channels. I do that a lot. Um, but there's you know, different ways where you can get knowledge um, on these topics that you might not naturally learn at home. What are some of your favorite YouTube channels for that? Oh, man. It's changed so much over the years. As I told you, I just had a, a kid recently. Um, but I really like Justin Kahn. He has a new channel. So Justin Kahn, he, he spoke at our office before, but he's the founder of Twitch. And uh, he's talking just about like, how it's like to be a founder. Cause for me, again, I want to know what it's like on that level. I want to know what founders think and like how their brains work. So it's, and he's super funny also, it's like crazy stories about like working in Silicon Valley and, and selling Twitch and all these other cool things. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, just random sports stuff. I'm big into hockey. So I'll watch like replays um, because uh, yeah, when you have a kid, you have like five minutes to watch something. So YouTube's my go-to. So I could just watch like a, a chunk of the highlight and then that's my day. But check out Justin Kahn, The Quest. The Quest is a great podcast. I just like him and he's super, uh, he's got a, a really cool style and he's got really good information. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like a good source for just kind of general business knowledge and figuring out, especially like for startups, figuring out how they work. And then I imagine that would be helpful as a support person. You kind of figure out where support fits into that overall strategy, where you can kind of leverage your skills a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I want to back up to something you were saying a little bit earlier. So like the kind of in-office versus remote thing. So over the last you know year and a half, how were you still advocating for your team, still getting in those conversations remotely <laughs> without being able to just bump into somebody or pop into <laughs> someone's office? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's easier at front using front because that's what we do. We just kind of like you can loop people into conversations and you can join convos. But uh, yeah, I definitely did not just pop into random Zoom meetings. That's not something that I did. But uh, a couple of things that I did that worked were like the all hands. The all hands meeting is this might be at your company, but like your company meeting might be on a Monday, might be on a Friday. I guarantee they're doing it virtual now. So there's still that opportunity to be like, hey, can I get on the docket? Like, is that cool if I have five minutes to speak? Um, other ways I've done it is actually, this is a cool one if, you, if you're not using this, but if you're using CSAT and you're probably using Slack, I know everyone uses Slack at work, um, you can build like a nice API connection that will share CSAT tens with comments and have that go to one of your channels, whether that's your support team's channel, or maybe it's like your random channel, or if your company has a channel to share wins, that's a perfect place for it. And it gets you automatic visibility for your team without doing anything. Um, I do, we do that now. Um, it works great. And again, you want to do it with 10 with comment. Otherwise you're just going to flood, <laughs> flood the uh, chats. Um, but yeah, try that out. That's a good one. That's worked really well. That's a low lift. It's automatic. Um, and that way you're kind of just reminding the company, like, 
support teams here, support teams doing great. They just got good feedback. Um, so that's another thing that I do. Yeah, I love that. It kind of reminds me of what we call internal marketing in the marketing world. Like not only are you marketing yourself externally, but you also have to communicate what you're doing within the company. And that's just as, if not more important. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. I I think that even outside of support, even probably for your role, Meredith, like we have to be even more present. We have to find ways to just make ourselves more known because we're remote. Um, And yeah, there, and I think that all those same things apply to support. So for support leaders, you can look at a Google calendar. You can literally see the meetings that people are in that you're not. There's a one way. Um, you could do the sharing the Slack stuff. Like that's a good way for your team to get a little bit of shine. And then for you, again, you should be proactive. Like don't wait for the invitation to come. Invite invite yourself, but not in a you just show up way. Be like, I see a meeting coming up in two weeks. Looks like they're talking about features. Maybe it'd be really nice to have the support experience and like what it's been like when we released this bug or like this feature, um, you know, and then just email. I mean, hopefully you work at a company where it's okay to re- reach out to somebody um, and ask. Um, but I've worked at companies where it was actually like really tough. It might be because it was in the office, but I, yeah, I've been in that position um, where, you know, it's been tough to, to have those combos. So I can see, see it both ways. Um, we're not all the same, you know, like tech startup companies and it's all collaboration, open, you know, open desk and everything. And I think in those cases, um, if you work at that company and your support team's not being valued, there's not a ton you can do differently. But I think, again, maybe just talk to your manager, like have that open conversation um, and just go to bat for your team. Like that's what we're here for. Like we have to just push ourselves out of our comfort zone. None of us want to do this, but we have to have those difficult conversations, um, not for us, but for, for the betterment of our team. So earlier you were mentioning that, you know, some companies, they say they want great support, but they're not willing to back it up with resources. So yeah. can you just kind of walk me through what resources means to you? I mean, obviously there's funding, but yeah, I'm assuming there's a lot more that could go into that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, number one is funding. I think that you can, or headcount. I think they, they're kind of go hand in hand, um, but I would say like that's the, the basic needs. Um, outside of that, you need just the internal structure. Like you have to be able to collaborate with your engineering team. So I worked at a company where um, there was like this invisible curtain where we could submit bugs, but like we literally just couldn't, you know, debate with them or give them feedback on the bug from customers. So that's another one you just, you know, the company has to have the value of collaboration and low ego or that you can work with the product team. You can work with the engineering team. Cause like I said, it, that's not the same at every single company. It sounds like it should be. And I agree it should. Um, but if in those situations um, that's a resource that was lacking um, before it was just having access to the right people. Um, and then the third thing, you know, being in those meetings, like the, the literal adults table, like if there are decisions that are being made that impact you and impact the support team, um, and you don't even know about it, that's that's terrible. Um, and who knows what's coming down the pipeline, right? When you're in that situation, you're kind of flying blind. And and I've done this before. I've I've worked at companies where the release goes out the very same time that we find out, and then you're like, oh, okay, well now I need to test this because I have no idea what's going what's going on. So I would say that, yeah, beyond money, having access to the right people, having an environment where you can collaborate 
Um, and then, yeah, being in those discussions where decisions are, are being made, not every decision, like you don't have to be at the C-suite table with the CEO and the CTO, you know, like that's overkill. But if there's a decision being made that's going to impact you and your team, positive or negative, that's something that you would need as a resource. I think that go, to go back to one of your earlier questions, that's a company I might consider leaving if that wasn't happening. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you mentioned that there were some examples of times when that, that you know, it didn't go well when you didn't have that access. But can you tell yeah. me about some uh, examples of when things did go well? Like what the, what a great rollout or a great, yeah, yeah what something like that looks like? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's gotten so much better these days, but my favorite release um, that we did at Front was like, there's this huge migration. Like we were going from, basically everything was brand new. It was like Front 2.0. Like this was a, the biggest release that we had for the company a few years ago. And we had literally everyone in the support, like in the literal support queue with us. We had product managers on our side. We had engineers on our side. We, they were helping us with the queue, like together uh, tackling it because we were getting an influx of volume with all these new things that were releasing pretty rapidly. Um, but I think for me, that was like one of the best um, examples of just how to do it right. You know, and we didn't even have to ask for the help. Um, they proactively reached out and they knew that it would impact the support team. So they kind of put their hand out and were like, hey, can we help you with this? Um, so that's the time that it went right. Um, here's another example of a time that it could go right. Uh, and it's really cool when it does is if you've ever been in a company offsite, you know, like how they, we used to do this like years ago, people used to get together and, and go places and hang out um, as a team. The support team is always left on the hook. Like support does not shut down. Everyone's writing in our, like a, you know, AV or they're going on, they're playing golf. And then the support team's like, the queue's still here. Like we have to, we can't participate, right? The great thing about this company that I work at now is we have that all hands on deck approach, which is like, all right, let's make sure the support team can participate in this. So we're all just going to smash the queue in the morning while we have breakfast. And then we'll have a couple of people watch it, um, you know, while we're hanging out and doing other fun stuff. So that's a time where it goes really well. And right now I feel like I'm in all the meetings that I need to be. And I'm, you know, I don't force myself. So I don't like to force an update. I'm not in every all hands. Uh, there's not a recurring support update that's happening from me uh, to the company. But when I think it's helpful, I'll volunteer and I'm like, hey, is it okay if I talk about this really good experience that we had with a customer or just you know trends that I'm seeing um, that our team wants to share? And again, it doesn't have to be me. It could be somebody else from my team. But um, those are ways I do it. I just naturally find a way. And once you're at the table, it's so much easier. Like you're already here. You don't have to really figure out how to get invited. Like you just kind of get to pick and choose your battles at that point. I love that example you brought up about um, kind of the all hands on deck approach. Is that generally kind of a, an as needed thing at front or is there a training process? Like do product people have to spend time in support? So yeah. I think I've heard you mention before that, I don't know if it's at front or a previous role, but every like new hire or some new hires would have to spend time in the queue before they went on to their That's right. role. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't do the all hands on deck anymore. I think it works really well when we're a smaller company. Um, plus, we're not doing offsites and stuff. So, but at one point, we were doing it every single week. Yeah, but at Front, one uh, program that our support team developed, and it's called Support You. And what Support You is in your first two weeks of joining Front, um, 
you get access to you know the tools that we use. You get to check out the queue. Um, we don't you know we don't force people to jump in and work on things. Um, but when it was early on and we were in the San Francisco office. Uh, my favorite part was actually the graduation ceremony. So we'd have people go through our training. Um, it, most of it was self-guided, but a lot of it was shadowing with the support team just so that they can you know, get that empathy of, hey, here's what it's like to work with a customer. And then at the very end, what we would do is we would take the class to uh, a coffee shop, which was our, the Pinterest building next door. And we would just work in the queue for an hour together. We would get coffee. Everybody work on the queue. Everyone does three tickets and then you graduate. And then while we're doing that, the office is preparing like this mock, like literal graduation ceremony. So when they come up, there's graduation music playing. Everyone's clapping. Um, we want you to feel good about support. Like, like we want our team to be someone where you look at, we're like, support is awesome. Like, that's so cool. I wish I could work on that team. And one of my biggest achievements is I never thought in my life I would have other teams want to join support, but I've had a CSM join the support team. I've had two engineers join our team here. Um, so it speaks a pretty big volumes when that happens, because I don't think that's ever happened to me before in any other roles um, or previous lives. Wow, that's awesome. I Usually I hear about, you know, folks going from support to somewhere else and not necessarily the reverse. Exactly. Yeah, usually it's a great jumping off point, you know, and um, that's another thing that support leaders kind of struggle with is, you know, the career growth path and how do I get them to, to want to stay in support um, versus like veering off and wanting to be a CSM or an engineer or a product manager. But yeah, I've been really lucky um, to have that happen. And I've even had front customers uh, join front support. So that's also been another <laughs> cool thing that that's been new to me is nice. getting a, it's the best because you get such an interesting perspective of like, what did you like about what we did or what did you hate about what we did in support. So um, her name is Phoebe. She's awesome. And yeah, she's definitely been um, a game changer for us to get her on our team. Wow. Yeah. Talk about like the inside look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that I have taken it a step further. Like there's the adult table thing, but I think I've reached the point where I'm so comfortable at the adults table where I'm proactively trying to figure out like, what's the next step? Like, what is the next step for the support team? I'm ahead of support. What's next for me? Like maybe, you know, why am I watching these YouTube channels about Justin Khan <laughs> as a founder? I think because I think because I have bigger aspirations and I hope that, um, you know, other heads of supports too, this is not the end all be all. It's a great place to be. You're kind of like at the top of the stack when it comes to your support career. But um, I also like to think about like, how can I just continue to make myself better? And I think I'm in a pretty good place with the support side. So I'm really interested to learn more about sales and how that works. And recruiting is another one that I would love to learn more about because I think that that's such a great way to you know put your touch on your team is if, if I can figure out how to do that more. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm motivated to do that. That's awesome. It's like not, o not only did you get your seat at the adults table, but you are just adding chairs, bringing <laughs> yeah, more people exactly. in. <laughs> yeah, there's room. There's definitely a lot of room here. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's probably a good place for us to kind of start wrapping up. Um, before, but before I ask you my final question, is there anything else that you want to add on this topic that we haven't touched on or that I forgot to ask? Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think one thing I want to say is there's, this is no knock against the kids table. 
right? Or the adults table. It might not even exist. It might be a completely flat org. And this is just a figment of my imagination that's happening for you. So just know that this is my experience. And, and these are things that I see in, in a tech company that I work at. Uh, might not be the same thing for you. And I also want to say there's nothing wrong with doing okay support. Like the only problem I have with it is when companies say they want amazing support, but what they're saying doesn't match what they're giving you. Here's a good example. Frontier Airlines, terrible support, but they own it. They're like, we're the cheapest flight from Stockton to Las Vegas. You're going to get terrible support, but it's really cheap. I can respect that. I can get behind that because that gives me, if I was, hate to be their support leader, but if I was their support leader, I know what my vision is. I know what I have to work with and I can build off that. But a lot of us are in the dark where they're like, Meredith, I want you to build the most amazing support team. I'm going to give you $10. Go for it. That's, you know, that's a much worse place to be. One, it's great that they have this vision, but I think that that's our job is to show the value so that we can make sure that we are happy doing what we're doing. And I'm glad you talked about like the, you know, looking for new jobs and things like that, because if, if that's you and you're stuck, you know, maybe something to consider. Um, but yeah, that, that's all I had. Okay, perfect. All right. So my final question, it's kind of a, just a, a big general one, but what advice do you have for up and coming support leaders? Yeah. I mean, my advice would be to learn as much about the business as you can. Um, it's really tough because when you're up and coming, you might even be working in the queue. Like I was working in the queue, even here at front for the first year and a half. So my advice would be one, get out of the queue naturally, like gra gravitate out of there, um, but in a good way. And then start focusing on things that will just build you up to be you know, more of a presence within the company. So if you're not comfortable with public speaking, YouTube videos, there's great tutorials on how to do that, but that might be something to, to work on something small. Um, and then just, yeah, work on those traits or those things that you need to kind of get to the next level to feel comfortable to you know, being invited or inviting yourself to the adults table. Perfect. That was a great answer. You just kind of brought it all the way back around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Kenji, for taking the time to do this. This was a really fun conversation. Lots of really like actionable tips. So thank you very much again. Oh, yeah. No, my pleasure, Meredith. I'm sorry this took so long. And I, I thank you for your patience and, and the scheduling. But um, I'm going to continue to watch these series. And I definitely recommend anyone who's listening subscribe uh, best support podcast there is out there for up and coming leaders and, and just anyone in support that's all for this episode of beyond the queue thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed it please be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts we'll see you next time